Hey, Anchor family, welcome to our podcast. We wanted to thank you for listening today. We pray this message encourages you, that it inspires you, pray it builds your faith and brings you hope. Enjoy the message. Lord, today we trust you and we we declare that your way is better. We've been going about this our way, wanting to do it the way we feel like it should be done. And today, we trust you. We trust you in our lives and the direction that we're going in to take us to the place where we need to go. It's better your way, Lord. And today, we, we hold on to that truth. And we thank you that your way is available to us because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stay standing with me. Stay standing with me. We're going to be in 2 Peter. You can still play a little keyboard behind me. I'm going to pray again. I just felt compelled to pray there because I think most of us, we just want it our way. At the end of the day, trusting God and what he wants in our life is really difficult. 2 Peter, come on, chapter 3, 3 through 9. Six verses. You stand with me as I read it. The title of this section, Peter wrote, The Coming Day of the Lord. When Jesus comes back. Verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which The world that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Verse 8, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some of you count slowness, but is patient toward you. Why aren't you grateful for a God who's patient? Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Heavenly Father, speak now through your word. Reveal Lord, to us the things that are hidden inside of it so that we could come to know you and what you want for your people today as we await the coming day where Jesus comes back. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, you can be seated. So this past season in my life has been an interesting one. 
it's been interesting because I have been able to do something with my children that I haven't really always been able to do, and that is I have been a part of homeschooling them. I know. Pray for them. Hopefully I get them back in school next week, but in this past two, three months, I have been homeschooling them, getting them up, getting them to do their homework, answering questions even about math. How many of y'all know I don't really claim to be somebody who understands math? But let me tell you, Google is a good thing. And Alexa has great answers for you. And there are actually apps that you can use to, like, hover over your your questions that are from math, and it'll give you the answer. It's been an awesome thing. But I have been kind of like, in my own way, homeschooling my kids. Not that successfully, I think, but I think I've been doing okay. Every once in a while, I'll have to go to a meeting or to the store to go grab something, and my kids will be home alone while I'm gone. Do y'all remember the day your parents first trusted you to be home alone? Hmm? Do you remember that day and how crazy you felt knowing that you could do whatever you wanted in that house and no one would know? I, I, I have this fear inside of me that if I would ever leave my kids alone, they have that age already in them where they, they can be there for a little bit, not too long, and I can trust that they're going to be okay. Well, usually what I tell them is, I want y'all to do X, Y, and Z before I come home. I'll say, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back, and when I come back, have this done. And maybe you know what that's like. Maybe your parents used to tell you, hey, when, you, when I come back, you better have the meat defrosted. Because if you don't pull the meat out the freezer, you ain't eating. If you're Hispanic, the parents would tell you, I'm going to leave the beans on low. But every once in a while, you got to make sure that it's not like flowing over and overflowing and causing a, a, a big mess in my kitchen. Make sure you check my beans. We would always get like some kind of direction of what to do from our parents before they come home. And I remember uh, I told my kids what I wanted them to do. I was gone for like an hour, and I thought, it's, you know, I'm going to come home and everything's going to be ready. I called Bella. I said, hey, she's the only one with a phone because she's the only one I trust with a phone. Don't trust these little boys with a phone. I said, hey, meeting's over. She goes, okay. I said, I'm on my way home. Immediately, Bella goes, hey, everyone, dad's coming. Ezra, you better get to cleaning. Micah, I told you to go pick up the mess in the living room. Elena, I told you, you got to get your stuff done. Dad is on his way home. And I remember feeling a little bit of frustration because here they are waiting to the last minute to do what I asked them to do before I got back. And in my mind, I knew there's no way that the quality of their work is going to show because they're going to try to put all of this together in about 20 minutes. And I know it takes about two hours to really get into the cleaning and the getting everything ready. And I, I got a little disappointed because I said, man, I wish 
They would have been doing what I asked them to do the moment I left because they knew I was coming back. I just want you to understand something about this word. Jesus is coming back. Whether you want to believe it or not, he's coming back because he said he is. And the Bible tells us that he has some things that he wants his children to do here on this earth before he comes back. And that same disappointment I felt when I found out that my children were delaying in doing what I asked them to do. I have this feeling that God is a little disappointed in some of us. Because the Bible has told us what he wants us to do. He wants us to go and make disciples. He wants us to go and spread the gospel throughout the entire world to get out of our comfort zone and do something significant for his kingdom. And a lot of us, we ain't doing it. Not only has he asked us to do something like make disciples, he's asked us to be a light in this world, to make a difference, to connect with people who may not know him, your neighbors, the people at work, your family members, and to make a difference. And I think some of us in here, we're taking our time. We're taking our time until we know exactly that Jesus is coming and we're not doing what he's asked us to do. We're in Second Peter, and Peter is writing to people who are going through they're going through trouble in their life, and they're going through trouble in their life because they believe and follow Jesus. And they're going through a time in their life where they're dispersed into other countries and other places that are not their home. And Peter is writing them to encourage them. He's writing them to encourage them and to tell them what to do while they wait for the coming of Jesus. And I think that there's some some strong truth for you and me here. Now, I could have walked in tonight and really jumped into Revelation and Daniel and give you a lot of symbolism, but I still feel like we need one more week of understanding and getting a good footing about prophecy and what it means for us so that we don't miss what the Bible is trying to teach us prophetically. Because I know that most of us in here, when we start hearing things from the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, and when we start, we start chewing on this meat, it, it gets difficult to believe in it because you've probably heard it your whole life or, or someone has misused it to try and scare you. Well, here is Peter, and he's writing to them, and this is what he says. Verse 3, know this first of all. When a writer in the book that you're holding says to know something, you better know it. He says, know this first of all. He wants you to prioritize this in your life as you face trouble, as you deal with struggle and persecution. If you're facing persecution, most of us aren't, but these people are. He is saying in these moments when you are desperate to see God move, to see God work, I don't know about you, but I want to see God move. I want to see God operate in my life. 
I want to see God save my family members that need saving. I want to see God fix things that are broken. That's what he's telling these people. Know this. If you're in this place and you're searching for God to show up, this is for you to know first of all. Know this, that in the last days, mockers will come. In the last days, what he's telling them is the time that you're living in right now is the last days. He's telling them the moment that you're living in at this moment is the last days and people are going to come and they're going to come mocking you, telling you that it's not. Now, you have to understand, you and I, we read this and we say, this can't be the last days because this was 2,000 plus years ago. He'll unpack this for us further down in the text. You have to understand that what he is trying to, to set up for his readers is, hey, what you are living in now is the breath before the plunge in the pool. God is coming back, and you need to be aware of it. In this church, you and I, we need to be aware of that same truth. And we need to not let the distractions of this world keep us from understanding that Jesus is coming back. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. He's saying mockers. That word, uh, it, it means somebody who makes fun of, who pokes fun at you. He says, for your faith, the way that you stand for the gospel and the truth, the way that you're living, one day someone's going to come and they're going to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to poke at you. They're going to call you crazy. And until you start living in a way where people look at you in such a way that they think you're crazy because of the way you're living, then you are not connecting to the way that Peter says that Christians should live. Because if people aren't calling you out saying, man, you're crazy for, for not getting drunk with your friends and for trying to stay clean and trying to stay pure. Man, you're not thinking correctly if, by not doing this and not doing that. We live in the kind of world where everything is acceptable. You can do whatever you want. That's what he's saying. Unless you live in a way where people are actually mocking you, then you're not living in a way that is preparing for the coming of Jesus. Do you see that? Most of us, we don't get mocked or made fun of because we go with the flow. Most of us, we're not in danger of someone poking at us because no one is noticing who we are and what we stand for. Peter is saying, on the last day, if you're living for Jesus, you will be mocked. If you're living for Jesus, people will look at you and say, you're boring, you you don't, you don't actually understand how free you really are. They're going to take your freedom and try to make fun of you. He says mockers will come and they will come with their mocking. Following after their own lust. Let's, let's get really centered here into what he says is the, is the position that people take. Their own lustful desires. And those lustful desires in the last days if you are abstaining from them, will cause other people to mock you. This is, Peter saying, this is expected of you. You should be living as if Jesus is coming and not following after your own lusts. Verse 4, he says, and saying, so the people are coming and they're mocking them. And then they say, where is the promise of his coming? 
Don't miss what he's trying to say. What he's saying is, is they're mocking you because you're living in a way anticipating the coming of Jesus. You're living in a way that is anticipating that any moment now Jesus could come, and because of that, you're missing out. They say in this verse, verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? I just want to stop there for a moment. I promise you we're going to do 20 minutes. It's not a lot of verses, but I want you to understand what is happening here. He says, where is the promise? Do you see it? What are they saying about God? That he doesn't keep his promises. He says, they're going to say to you, where is the coming, the promise of his coming? I just, I want you to understand something because I'm going to try to tie this in. From the very begin, okay, I got to keep reading. I got to make sure that you understand this. This is, this is simple and yet it's deep. Where is the promise of his coming? He's breaking his promise. He's not here. If he's breaking his promise, is he trustworthy? No. If he's breaking his promise, should you be following him? No. For when? Ever since the fathers fell asleep. That word fell asleep means to pass away. That was the way that they would illustrate it. They said, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Don't miss what they're saying. They're saying nothing's changed. It's all the same. People have been waiting for the coming for such a long time and nothing has changed. So why are you anticipating his coming? Because nothing's changed. Don't miss it because you fall in this category. Whether you believe it or not, because you are just looking at war after war and trouble after trouble, you think, well, this is just an everyday occurrence. This has always happened. Israel has always been at war. There has always been trouble in the Middle East. There is nothing there that would help me to focus myself in the coming of Jesus. So why am I worried? Nothing has changed. Listen, it's been almost a month now since Israel was attacked. And I bet you're callous to it now. I bet you're not thinking about it anymore because, oh, it's just something that happened and now has just kind of disappeared while people are still at war. This is what I want our church to fight against. This temptation to get caught up in what's happening around, and I want you to see it in this scripture. You ready? It says, listen, I want to be able to unpack stuff, and I, I, I just want you to understand how important this stuff is for you. Especially now. It says... Where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep? The fathers? Whose father? The fathers. Whose fathers? Our fathers. That language is there to indicate the people who are mocking them. 
It's your own family. Wait a minute. It's your own people. He's speaking to Jews who have been dispersed, and he's saying, they're going to come people who are, it's your own people. They're going to come at you and talk to you like you're crazy. Don't be surprised when fellow Christians, when fellow Christians look at you like you're wild. Don't be surprised when other believers think you're being a little too crazy right now because of what's happening in the Middle East and you're worrying way too much. This always happens. Be on guard for other believers who think this way. It says, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, they're talking about the fathers of their belief system, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, ever since they've died, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. The minute someone tells you, we, people have been waiting for Jesus for a long time. My grandma was waiting for it. My great-grandma was waiting for it. We don't need to worry and get caught up. Be aware and be on guard. They're distracting you from the the thing that God wants you to do, and you're going to be like my kids who God has told you to do some things and you've relaxed and you've waited and you're being patient because you don't think there's any urgency. We cannot be a church that doesn't see the need for urgency in today's times. You cannot be the kind of person that doesn't see the urgency. And be like the people who are solely focused on themselves, their lusts, what they want. Be careful when what you want stops you from pursuing what God has told you to do. It says, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Can we jump into this really quickly? Just really quickly. He says the promise. Now listen, if there's one thing the enemy wants to attack is God's promise in your life. He wants you to question God's promises for you. He's done that since the beginning of time. He's done that since Adam and Eve. And he continues to do that now. Now, I want, I want you to understand this, and I want you to see it for what it is, because most of you are wondering, why are wars like this happening? Who is to blame, and what do we do? i tell you why. i tell you who, and I'll tell you what to do. You ready? Why is it happening? Because the enemy, Satan, is waging war. You don't even know it. He is waging war, not just against believers, but against the nation of Israel. Can I show you just briefly? The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after Satan tempted Eve, and then Eve ate, because ladies, she ate first. Eve ate and then gave to her husband and then sent into the world. God said in Genesis 3.15 that there would come a Savior born from Eve that would crush the head of the serpent. We've talked about it. It's the proto-evangelion, meaning the first gospel. And since that moment there, Eve and Adam were awaiting a Savior. Do you know 
that Satan did not know when Jesus would come back. So you know what he did? Immediately, when Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, he made them fight against each other because he wanted to destroy the seed. His whole purpose from the Garden of Eden was to destroy the seed. You want to know why? So that Jesus could never be born. That's why from the Garden of Eden all the way until that little town in Bethlehem, you see different attempts from the enemy to destroy the people of Israel. Because he wants to kill the seed. It's simple. If I kill the seed, Jesus will never come. My head will never be crushed. And we know, if you read through the Bible, all of the different ways that he attempted to do that. All of the different ways that he attempted to destroy the seed. And yet, the Bible says, in Matthew and in Luke, it gives us a genealogy. That's why Matthew and Luke start with the genealogy of Jesus. Because it wants us to know that the seed is alive. And so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat. Boring sections of the scripture, but it's there because the Bible is trying to show us that the enemy failed. And that the seed was still alive and now Jesus had come. Now you would think that the enemy would stop there, but he didn't. Once Jesus came, the people rejected him. He died, Jesus, and he rose again. And the Bible tells us that now... He's coming back again. And yet still the enemy is after the people. The word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed. Uh, he's, he's referring to a section of time in scripture. If you notice, he says, this is the time they are missing that God created the heavens and the earth. And they are missing, these people are missing that the earth was once destroyed by water. When was that time? Noah. Peter is referring to the time of Noah. And he's saying they're missing the fact that God once took care of every person on this planet through the flood of Noah. He wiped them out. He wiped them out. It says in verse 6, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved not for water but for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, I just I want to stop there, and I want to correlate it to another section in Peter, and then we can end it. Is that okay? I told you we're just going to be here for a little bit. He's referring to Noah. So the Bible, when you go to seminary, they teach you to have, um, uh, it's called, I forgot, oh my God, I forgot what it's called. Where you understand what an author says in one place, he is also, look at what he says in another place. I forgot what it's called. But when he is telling us this about Noah, we have to then find out where else does he talk about Noah. Because we want to know what this author is saying based on what he said before. So this is in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. He brings up Noah. He talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 3, 17 through 20. He talks about Noah. And I want to reveal to you, not what we talked about, why is there fighting? We know why. The enemy's behind it. Who's behind it? The enemy. It's not just 
the Palestinians in Israel, there is a spirit, there is a demonic force behind all of that. Now what do we do? So who, why, and now what? First Peter 3, 17 through 19. Peter, again, this is in the first book that he wrote, first letter to the people, the same people, this is what he says in 17. For it is better, come on, say better, better. It is better if God should will it so that you suffer. Oh, we hate suffering. And Peter says, you're missing the better thing. He says, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. He's saying, stand up for what you believe in. Even if people mock you, this is Second Peter. This is the people who have turned against you. This is during the persecution. If you're going to suffer, at least suffer for doing what is right. He says, suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He's saying, listen, the reason that we should find, uh, you know, this as a good thing is that Jesus died for us so that we could have access to God. And so because of that, we live in a way that pursues doing the right thing. The right thing. Because Jesus did this for us. He's saying, in light of your suffering and your decision to do what is right or do what is wrong, remember what Jesus did for you. He died for you, removing all of the sins so that you could be brought to God. Hallelujah, Jesus gives us access to God. Because of Jesus, you and me, we get to come to a, the throne room of God and have access to the creator of heaven and earth. He brought us to God. Have you ever, parents, have you ever had your kid fall asleep on the couch or in the car and you graciously picked them up and took them to their bed? There came a moment where you stopped carrying them because they got too big and you said, hey, get up. My parents used to do that all the time. I got to a point where my dad couldn't carry me. But listen, the Bible says that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, how old you are, what it is that you're dealing with, Jesus carried you to God, brought you to him. He says, think of this in light of your suffering, that Jesus did this, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Now this, this scripture here, it, a lot of people are divided by it. When Jesus died, most scholars believe that this is the moment that Jesus, he went and he declared victory, his victory over hell. And he did it to the spirits that were in prison. This is, this is a lot of what I believe what, what Jesus did in those three days. He went and he went and proclaimed victory over hell. And the Bible says, I won't get into it, it's really deep, but I believe that there are spirits who are locked up right now in punishment. And Jesus went and he proclaimed his victory over them in verse 19. Then he says, they who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Okay, he's bringing up Noah again. And that that day of Noah was so wicked that God decided to destroy the whole earth. I could tell you some things, 
that the enemy was doing then when his spirits were procreating with humans here so that they could have their own versions of humans here. That was God wanting to obliterate this race that was here. I won't go into it, but it is wild. We'll get into it in the next couple weeks. Promise you this. He is saying in those days, God decided I got to obliterate everything on this planet. And he said, when the patience of God kept waiting. I love that about God. When his patience keeps waiting. He is waiting patiently for you and for me. We'll get to it. Kept waiting in the days of Noah. When? During the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight people, were brought safely through the water. What does this mean, Ralph? This is confusing and weird. I'm going to tell you what it means. Why is Peter talking to people who are being persecuted about Noah and about God destroying the earth in the days of Noah and the ark and, and how eight people were saved? I'll tell you why. Because he's telling them, you know the story of Noah. You know that God was so upset and he told Noah, I'm so mad, I'm going to destroy this earth, but I'm going to give people a chance to be saved. So I'm going to give you 120 years in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. He says the days will be 120 years. Build a boat. Build a boat and tell the people so that they can be ready. Now you're saying 120 years, that's crazy. Uh, life expectancy back then was over three, 400 years. So God was telling Noah, build the boat, tell the people I'm going to flood this whole world with water and that this boat is the way to be saved. And it's going to take 120 years to build it. The Bible says Noah built it and only how many people were saved? Eight. Okay. I want you to follow me here. What Peter is saying is, in those days when Noah was hammering away, when Noah was building the ark, he was telling people about the coming flood, and no one listened. Nobody. Get the piano. Let's get the piano. Let's end. And yet God was patient. Don't miss this. He says, in those days, Noah was building the very thing that would be a safety for the people of the world. And because it took so long to happen, people gave up. They didn't believe it. He's saying, you are like Noah. You are are in a world that's going to be destroyed, but not by water, by fire. That's what he says in 2 Peter. Remember that? Okay. This world is going to end, and the days are numbered, and you, you're like Noah. And you, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is what? Build the ark. Tell people 
Safety is available. Salvation is available. Realize that most people are going to ignore you. That most people are going to make fun of you. And yet, even if they do that, you keep hammering. For 120 years, no matter how long it takes, you keep building. You keep working. Because one day, judgment is coming. And I'm using you as a, as a vessel to bring the good news to people who will die because of their lack of interest in what God is doing. The job of the church today is to build. The job of the church today is to hammer away and to work in spite of what people think of us. The job of the church today is to proclaim the gospel to everyone who's hurting, to everyone who needs to come to know Jesus. Because we know that one day he's coming back. And when he comes back, that's the end of the story. And it's our job to build. Here's my question. What have you built lately? Here's my, here's my question for you. Are you building anything other than the things that matter to you? Other than your home and your business and your future and your IRA and your bank account. And, or are you building the thing that is your, listen, we are here for a critical thing. We're not born into this world just so that we could be born and have children and get married and live in a house and have two dogs and retire at 70 years old. And then, no, our job here is to knock and to build and to open up the door and tell people, you need Jesus. Jesus is the one who died for us. This is the job of the church, that we would be like Noah and that we would be faithful even if it takes years. Even if it takes long, don't let the mockers and the people who would say, the war's been going on forever. You keep building. You keep going. You keep pushing. You keep focusing on the thing that needs to be built because that's the way your family will be saved. That's the way your neighbors will be saved. And that's the job of the church. We know who is the enemy. We know why. He doesn't want Jesus to come back. And now we know what we need to do. We gotta build. We gotta build. We gotta get, quit being so comfortable in your seats and calling that Christianity. Christianity is a hammer and resolve regardless of who is coming against you. We're gonna build his church. We're gonna spread the gospel. We're gonna make disciples until he comes back. Now listen, it took him 120 years. We don't know how long it's going to be. But look what he says in 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. We're going to go to verse 8. 2 Peter 3, 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved that with the Lord, one day, it's like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow. He's not slow about his promise. Remember, what were they attacking? His promise. 
as some people count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This church, we're not going to be satisfied with eight people being saved. We're not going to be satisfied with eight people. He used a number for a reason. There was more that could be saved. be about reaching more. We will always be about spreading the gospel and pointing people to the true door, Jesus Christ. And I hope that you're ready. And I hope that you get a little uncomfortable. And I hope that you, you pick up a hammer and you build. And I hope that you don't lose patience when things get tough and when mockers come. I hope that you focus in on the job that is at hand and that is building the church because it is through that that people meet Jesus and they get saved. And they get saved not from water, but from fire. Did you hear me? From fire. Come on, stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and listening to this message. We trust that God will use this to speak to you and meet you where you are. Thank you so much for supporting this church through listening to us on Spotify. You can continue to stay connected with us to be in the know about what's happening here at The Anchor by following us on Facebook and Instagram at YourAnchorHTX. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, we invite you to visit our site at YourAnchor.org give. It's because of you and your generosity that we can reach the lost and deliver the hope of Jesus to people around the world. So we thank you. Anchor family, we love you. We are praying for you. And we will see you next week.